0: Welcome to the Sanctified Mind After Dark, which is our after podcast discussion of random things that we never record, and we always say afterwards, "Man, I wish that we had recorded <laughs> yeah. that." So, we how can, many times uh,
1: have we had this podcast where we talk about things afterward and are like, well, "Why are we not it's, it's doing ev- this recording it's every right? time?"
0: <laughs> but I turned it on today, so good. Uh, wh- what we're talking about here is. Well, I read a quote from the book, so
2: read the quote again.
0: Well, the basically the author of the final chapter in this—if uh, you listen to the podcast, the we talked, we had the most like the, the final chapter is the most contentious chapter for sure, and and definitely the, like the most like uh, hard to understand, kind of get what the author is coming at and stuff. Um, we're talking about externalism versus internalism, and so basically externalism would be. You believe that, like, you believe things because of something external to you caused you to do it or believe it. Internalism would look more towards, uh, you know, internal facts or, you know, like scripture self-authenticating, like we can scripture interpret scripture uh, type of thing. Um, so what we're talking about in that context is whether when you know, so like what we're talking about if we believe Calvinism, right, and someone else who is a Christian also doesn't believe Calvinism, why do you believe Calvinism is correct, the correct interpretation of Scripture, whereas someone else doesn't? And so the internalists would say, well, we can look at Scripture, and then we can compare Scripture versus, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. This is what Scripture is teaching. This is the consistent teaching of Scripture, right? But then the externalist would say, well, this is what the Holy Ghost, this is what the Holy Spirit has caused me to believe about Scripture. So which one of those is correct, and is it both?
2: So I think I can break this down on to, to Pebble level, he's talking about individual texts. So with regards to Calvinism, it would be what, what is it that causes the Calvinist to read Romans chapter 9 and see a clear distinction between elect and non-elect, God's sovereignty and salvation, and would cause the non-Calvinist to read Romans 9 and see some sense of corporate election, Or, you know, something along those lines. What is it that causes these different interpretations?
1: Uh, I disagree. I think the question is not what causes those things, because ultimately all things are caused by God. Um, Now there might be different ways in which we have come to be caused immediately. Uh, But I think the question goes more back to the why of what we believe. So what Daniel was asking, and unfortunately, when you ask something like that, even when you ask, why do you believe this? that still for a philosopher needs to be nuanced because it can come back to, when you're talking about why, it could be, are you asking why in a causal sense? Are you asking why as in your justification or your reasons or your evidence for believing something? If you have those? There's different lines of thinking that you can have when you talk about why do you believe something? Now, when we're talking about our beliefs in scripture, right? we're talking about uh, the Holy Ghost having caused us to believe the Bible as God's word, At the same time, what the author here is talking about is particular interpretations of God's Word.
2: Right, of a particular text.
1: Yes, so why are we interpreting justification-wise? What is our reasoning for choosing one line of interpretation over another? And this is where he is specifically talking against the externalist position. Because if you're just going to say, well, the Holy Spirit caused me, somebody else who disagrees with your interpretation can say the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit caused me but he did though. Well, how do you know?
2: Okay. So I think this goes back to the idea of we have because I can't read this quote without seeing the particular text. I mean, he's talking about individual texts of scripture. Can we all agree on that?
0: Sure. Sure. Or do, I mean or doctrines, but Doctrin- yeah, I think right. he's talking about yeah, scripture. Okay.
2: So Revelation. So then what <laughs> I mean, for a any theologian what determines your interpretation of Scripture that's going to be the hermeneutic pre- principles that you accept at the outset, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Now, that's got more to do with the conversation than just what's caused you to believe those hermeneutic... So you what think those,
2: I'm, I'm getting too detailed in no, this? No, 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 you're,
1: you're on the right track because okay. what I'm saying is that nobody is entering our discussion right now talking about why do you have this belief about what Scripture says versus why do I have this belief what Scripture says. People disagree about what Scripture says all the time. Right. Right. But nobody just says, well, the Holy Spirit caused me to believe it and leave it at that. They try to defend their position with evidence, with reasons, with looking at either things that are internal to Scripture or external to Scripture, right? But these are things that the author is pointing out are what's called internalist or, or internalist lines of reasoning. It's not externalist. It's not just you pointing to something happening outside of you, like causation of your belief by the Holy Spirit, he's talking about what are you aware of, or what are you able to connect in an argumentative sense okay, from premise to conclusion.
2: So, in so in that sense, it would be kind of, from my perspective, uh, not necessarily what are your, what are your ultimate presuppositions, but what is the uh, the the kind of evidential ideas that you have concerning yes. this? Okay,
0: all right, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. So I would say it's it's both. I mean, so yes, I mean, I agree. Yes, obviously, God caused everything, right? But God. If, if we know something about scripture, we realize that the, the Holy spirit has been working in us, through us to l- allow us to be understand. So it's, it's both like, it's not that we're internalists. So we're just taking scripture and comparing scripture to scripture, because again, then if that's all it is, is I came, I compared scripture better, you know, I learned more scripture, yes. you know, then there's, there's boasting there, right? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive, why do you boast? You know, so um, it's, it's both again. So it's, we understand that. Yes. Scripture interprets Scripture, and so that's what we should use. This is God's revelation, so we should compare God's revelation to itself to be able to better understand God's revelation. and We can come to correct beliefs and doctrines based on that. Um, you know, obviously, along with the witness of the church throughout the ages, which the Holy Spirit has been working in for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, so it's both. You know, but we do recognize that the Holy Spirit. But yes, I I, I agree as far as just saying like this is what the Holy Spirit told me to believe or showed me in a dream or this is what the Holy Spirit caused me to believe. Like that's not a good line of reasoning because again, all our doctrine is to be tied to scripture. And so we shouldn't be just, that's a, that's a cop out, right? Basically.
2: Right. That's, that's akin to the the Mormon idea of I've got a burning in my bosom and you can't question that. So, I mean, right, I, exactly. I, I think, I think, you know, if a person who affirms self attestation of scripture um, is using the argument in this way. And again, like we covered in our podcast, I've never come into anybody, never met anybody that uses this way. Most of the people that I uh, have come in contact with that would use something in this way are Mormons. Um, That's, you know, that's an incorrect way to, to apply it. I don't think that's the way, that's not the language and the methodology of the confessions. And even to a person like myself who holds to the absolute self attestation of scripture as a primary principle, um, that's not an effective way to articulate that.
1: Right. Um, Going back to what the author was trying to do, though, I think he's trying to show that people who do just rely on the idea that we've been caused by the Holy Spirit to believe this, therefore I know it, and that's enough. He's he's trying to get presuppositionalists away from that line of thinking because that is something in contemporary philosophy, Alvin Plantinga is an externalist. Oh, I didn't know that. And so he would say that we have properly functioning faculties or not, And when we do have properly functioning faculties, that will lead us to true beliefs. So it's not really anything about lines of evidence or reasoning or anything from a foundation. It's about God created us a certain way. That certain way, if the noetic effects of sin are discounted, if the Holy Spirit corrects those, etc., we can know things just in virtue of the fact that we believe them how God wanted us to, which is fine. I don't... I don't look. I don't disagree with people who hold to some sort of knowledge that is externalist, like Daniel says. There's two ways of looking at the the issue. The Holy Spirit does cause us to believe certain things, and yet, if we're going to look at things from a different perspective, how he looks at at how the Holy Spirit causes us to look at things is from a perspective of God's Word as a foundation, as internally um, sufficient. Right. We don't need anything. It's it's self-authenticating. It is God's word. And we have had our noetic effects of sin removed. Um, and because of that, we are able to recognize that, but it is that we are able to recognize it internally. We're, we're aware of why God's word is what it is. We can, it's his voice.
2: We can internally recognize it, but we can also externally articulate it. Is that a fair way of putting it?
1: Sure. Uh, I think that there's still room for discussion when t- when we come to talk about externalist versus internalist um, schemas. I would say that we have a lot of different types of knowledge or or things that we would say, I know, I know I'm having a conversation with you right now. Right. Now can I present a syllogistic argument that defends the position sufficiently, not for some philosophers, um, but for other philosophers? Sure, because I, assuming that this is a true conversation that we're having, that That's something that my faculties are presenting to me, and that's what God has designed me to be able to function with in this world. And there is a definite uh, reason for thinking along those lines of, okay, I can know we have this conversation, because if you don't think that way, like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm very skeptical, et cetera, people are going to look at you like, yeah, I don't know that you are on the same page with me, you don't know you have two hands. I, yeah, I don't know if I can follow your lines of reasoning into the into the darkness of skepticism, right. so to speak.
0: That might explain some why this chapter missed me and Bo somewhat. Um, he, he does mention planting a couple of times, right? So I think that might be more who he's directing kind of this towards. Um, which me reading the chapter would say like he's directing this towards like charismatics or Pentecostals right. or something. Yeah, you know, more Fideous. so. Yeah. Uh, which obviously hes I don't think he is, because that I don't think has a strong representation in, uh, in yeah, philosophy. But
1: yeah. No, I, I didn't get that at all. I thought he was very direct in what he was addressing the arguments to, but um, yeah, I mean, everybody comes away with this type of reading with something different in terms of perspective. Because nobody is neutral. All right, so on to the second thing. <laughs> in
0: Bo's chapter, there was a... I made a comment that I liked where he said... If uh, we're talking about freedom and moral responsibility and the weakness of libertarian free will, and he says if freedom and moral responsibility require independence from everything, including God, then it is very hard to see how being in heaven could guarantee sinlessness. And Ryan said he thought that wasn't a good argumentation. I thought it was. I've had that discussion with people before. And, uh, you know, at least the people I had the discussion with, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, you lose your free will and you go to heaven. You know, because you can not choose to sin there. But he says, so how he defines it again, he says if freedom and moral responsibility re- require independence from everything. So again, I would say that um, he's saying it, it requires independence from everything. So I guess it depends on how you define libertarian free will is what it comes down to. Because if you're saying that, if you're saying that you have to act within the bounds of your nature, right? And so if you're a sinner, you can't choose not to sin. I don't know if libertarian free will people would say that. I, I probably say they wouldn't say that. That's more some of a some ref- people may, some a ref- people might a reformed not. kind of viewpoint as yeah. as far as acting according with your nature. You know, so the sinner, the who's not regenerate, cannot choose to do anything good in God's sight. The saved person can choose to do good and can still choose to do evil because they are not yet glorified. And the glorified um, saint can no longer choose to do evil because his nature's changed. He can only choose to do good. Um, so I would say that that perspective probably is not what most people that believe in libertarian free will would hold. And so that's why I think this is a uh, effective
1: argument. So, so I'll go back to why I thought it was not an effective argument, and that's because as a human right now, I can't just choose to up and fly. right? I have natural limitations. So if things depend on what my nature is as far as whether I can choose or cannot choose to do them, in heaven maybe i can choose to go hang out with daniel at some point or going out with Bo at some point at the same time i have the potential i'm i'm trying to play devil's advocate for libertarian free will right now i think you're conflating okay
0: physical ability with a choice that could be anything you know as far as uh, sin or not sin i think that's a conf- i think you're conflating the
1: principle for me would be the same and that's Within my natural capacities, I either can do something or I can't. Within my natural capacities as a human, I can't fly. Within my natural capacities as a saint in heaven, I can't sin. So what's the difference that you're seeing as far as why it doesn't hurt the free willist that I can't fly versus why I... Because there's a physical limitation
2: as to why you can't fly. There's a spiritual limitation as to why...
1: But why is that it a relevant distinction? Sin. Why is that relevant that because what physical causes it, versus what spiritual?
2: causes the spiritual what the and physical limitation is is set by the fact that you are created a certain way. Yes. So what then constitutes the spiritual
0: distinction? Yes. Oh, so that's my point is that the someone who believes a pelagius a semi-pelagius does not believe that the sinner who is unregenerate cannot choose to do good. They don't believe that because the sinner can choose to believe in God, can choose God, right? And so therefore, they don't see that distinction like you're seeing it. They don't see that if, if, the, if to them, the unsaved, the sinner can choose something good, then why would the, the regenerate, the saint in heaven not be able to choose something bad? They went from a bad nature to choose something good. Why can't they go from a good nature to choose something bad?
1: Daniel's raising his hands right now, like he does this <laughs> discussion. This is a, this discussion is, this is a victory I'm out. discussion right now. <laughs> uh I again I don't see the the, the, the distinction. I, I just have not heard anything that has convinced me that if I can't fly, why does it matter that I can't sin? Like you're saying it's physical versus spiritual. I understand what you're saying. I'm saying
0: they they, they would say they can sin, just like they're they're saying But why would they not have a problem with the fact that we can't fly?
1: You're talking about Pelagians, right?
0: You're saying they have an inability to sin in heaven. I'm saying they don't agree with you.
1: Yeah, of course they don't agree with me. Oh, 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 you're saying that Pelagians would say that in heaven we should be able to either sin or not sin. Of course, because if they're saying that as
0: an unbeliever, as a totally depraved person who is separated from God, who we would say cannot choose anything good, they would say he can choose something good. So I'm saying it follows that if the person is now perfected, the person who was evil could choose something good. Why can't the person who is good choose something evil?
1: Yeah, I think you're being a little too hasty. Like I don't know Pelagianism that well or Pelagians in general. I would think that you can't really be too hasty with dealing with that sort of person because all I what Augustine I think had uh, different ways of uh, Augustine. Whatever. Thank you. Uh I call him Augustine. So I'm gonna keep doing that. That's I'm a, Augustine too. That's so. a city. <laughs> His I'm, name is I'm Augustine. I'm Augustine too. Saint Augustine. Oh, R. Yeah. R-, R. C. Sproul <laughs> said
2: he's Augustine. So
1: okay, so he uh, outlined the nature of humans as uh, able to not sin, able to sin, non, non sine peccator. Yeah so. yeah, so there was some Latin in there, but there was like four different types. You're not able to not sin. You're not able yeah. to uh, do anything other than sin. And then you're able to sin or you're able to not sin. Right. So for Pelagians, in uh, when it comes to saints in heaven, do I know that they need to have a certain position? No. I mean, Pelagians are Pelagians by the fact that they think that our nature at birth is undetermined in terms of being able to do good or do evil. Pelagians may say, for all I, for all I know, that once you've decided to be good forever— you will be good forever because that's what you chose, and that's what your nature will be inclined to do forever. So you would lose know. your free will. You would lose I've, the capacity to sin. You would not lose free will in that you could still choose other things, but all those other things that you could choose would be good. So we're just quibbling
0: over stuff we don't actually know about what they mean. Uh, you, I, you think, I think it's
1: lowered important. those hands there, huh? I
2: think it's important <laughs> to distinguish, um, and, and fair, and in keeping with the Ninth Commandment, to distinguish that... The majority of the people that we come in contact with, who deny Cal, who are non-Calvinists, who would not, who would affirm libertarian free will, are not Pelagianists. And I don't want anyone to walk away from this uh, afterbite episode um, thinking that we're conflating all non-Calvinists with full-blown Pelagianism. I said, That's
0: semi pelagianism <laughs> but Ryan's <laughs>
2: Ryan's been talking about Pelagianism. There's a, a wide chasm of difference, and the difference is heresy yes. between Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. Got a lot of good brothers that are semi-Pelagianists. I think they're wrong. But they, they wouldn't even call themselves semi-politicians. They're also uh, not listening to this podcast. That's but. True. <laughs> <laughs> but in the future they will. Maybe they will. <laughs> and I, I'll throw that out there. I, any semi pelagianist who feels like they've been misrepresented, um, who you know may see this uh, position. With regards to free will in heaven as different and wants to voice their thoughts, feel free on the Facebook group. Send me a PM. I'll accept you in the group. Help me pause. out so that I can correct you. Help Ryan out so he can correct <laughs> you. Or correct us. Yeah, Or correct us. True. We are not above reproach on this podcast. That is true. Which, which is something that I actually intended to lead out with. You don't, no, you don't have to be timekeeper on <laughs> he has an I'm just he looking has to at, cut, look at his You're obsessed. <laughs> I need to sit somewhere he's going, else. He's going, to cut, yes. he's going to cut you talking. Ob- don't fine. cut me on this. You're obsessed with time. Okay, Bo
0: got a little offended, so I did want to go back to that, because Bo got offended. I, I cut him off, and it got cut out of the podcast. Y'all don't know about it, but he got really kind of salty. I did not get offended. It's amazing <laughs> he's still here. <laughs> yeah. So Sorry, Bo. Continue on, and then we'll let you go back Any- to your part. <laughs> the left behind mine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> anyway... Oh, where was I going? <laughs> I forgot my train of thought. So cut him off twice. Yeah, well. It's okay. We'll cut this. The no, we don't have to cut it. Just let it, it's an after <laughs> episode. It's fine. Yeah, I know. So anyway, the the idea being, if you if you have an answer to this question, if you have a different way of articulating the problem as to why there is or is not a libertarian free will in heaven, um, drop it anywhere, whether it be our Facebook group or the comments on the uh, the actual page of the podcast. We uh, we. Are glad to interact. We—that's the idea. We would very much appreciate that. So, if you're—if you hear this, um, feel free to add your opinion to it, so that we can have a better understanding of where you might sit from this position. Yes, please post
0: so we can validate. Our existence. <laughs> Our existence in doing this
2: podcast. Okay. My mom, Daniel's mom, Ryan's mom, you don't need to post. We we get it. You listen. <laughs> they can like it though. Come on. You can like it though, but yeah, yeah. No. just
0: make up a pseudonym mom when you
2: post. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going into uh, the privation theory of evil. I'm not nope. even gonna bother opening the book. What did you guys think about the privation theory of evil? I have no clue what you privation
1: talking about. I have no <laughs> <idea>.
2: <laughs> Is that so? Okay, I've so the privation. Not, yeah, go ahead. Okay, the privation theory of evil is the idea that evil, in and of itself, is not a uh, thing with a state of being. It's it's not a thing in and of itself. Um, it exists in the sense of it is the absence of good. Um, it was used by one of the authors in my chapter to point out uh, that the problem of evil is not as much of a problem because evil is not a uh, a thing. It's just a privation. Um, it was an interesting concept. I, I what do you mean it. it's just a privation? So it's just the absence of good. Okay. By privation he means it's it's the Do you abs- know who this comes from? Augustine.
1: Augustine? Yes.
2: Augustine. St. <laughs> <Saint> Augustine.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: yes. St.
2: Augustine is a city. St. Saint, uh, Saint Augustine is a theologian.
0: So you're saying people can't have the same names as cities? Is that your argument? I'm reasoning? saying
2: that his name is St. Augustine because R.C. Sproul said so. Do you want to argue with R.C. Sproul? Because I don't. Well, He's did R.C. Worked-
0: Sproul put pictures
2: of Jesus in his church? We are not about to go into why R.C. Sproul did what he
1: did. He is... R.C. Sproul is glorified. We can't argue. argue. (laughs) R.C.
2: Sproul cannot defend himself at this point, and we
1: will not attack him. Uh, As far as the privation theory of evil is concerned, uh, yes, it did come from Augustine as a response to, I guess, the problem of evil. And uh, his point, I think, was that God is good, and everything he creates is good. So... Uh, an absence of that good would be an evil i i don't really know that i am too fond of the problem of uh sorry the privation theory of evil um because like evil is a thing it i mean john describes sin as lawlessness right that's a description that corresponds to something in reality but is lawlessness not just the absence of the law yes i guess it is but you can say that lawfulness is the absence of lawlessness. I don't know where that description so becomes. You, so you're saying it ends in an infinite re, 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 regress. Yeah, regress. Like yeah. where you're talking about things and, oh, it's not that. Right. Or this is not that. Okay. Yeah, okay, but it is That's something, fair. right? Sin is lawlessness. You have to have a law for there to be lawlessness, okay? Um, so I don't know that I get the of evil defense personally. If evil is lawlessness... That is what it is. And maybe you can say that doesn't correspond to being. I know that um, Augustine and a lot of people who claim to have followed Augustine would have their own theories of what's called metaphysics or the nature of what being is. So I don't delve into that as much when I think about it. I just think to myself, evil corresponds to something. It corresponds to me acting in a lawless way. And that is something, so I can't call it nothing in a metaphysical understanding that I would be able to articulate or understand. I have no opinion on this topic. <laughs>
2: we all look to Daniel to give him his fair share, so I would actually kind of agree with you. Throw Daniel the scraps. Yeah, I, I would actually kind of agree with you because to me, evil, um, on a theological level, evil is can't just be a... Um, a lack of goodness, because evil, when I say evil, I mean what is morally wrong is that which runs in contrast to God's law. Um, so to me, I, I don't see how that can be not a thing. Uh, when, I, when I'm when i doing evil, I'm doing wickedness. I'm doing that which contradicts the law of God, because God's law is perfect, Psalm 119. And to, I don't see how that follows, that evil is just a... A lack of all that is good um, when then there is this thing that exists uh, in time eternally, which is the law of God, which determines what is morally right and what is morally wrong, um, evil can't just be a lack of that it has to be something that goes against that so I, I it wasn't it wasn't convincing to me, but I thought it was an interesting concept
1: yeah, I know that um those who Probably can defend the theory better would have their own answers to it. Of course, yeah. And if I'm going to try to defend it, from my understanding of it, they would say that all actions can be viewed as goods, just as higher or lower goods. Like having sex is a good thing in general. But if, if you're I'm married, but if right. I, if I'm married, so if I'm raping somebody, that's not good. No. If I was married to him, that is good. And if you're so, not married, it's also not good. Yeah. So it, there's context in which actions that you do are good or not good. Daniel is laughing for some but reason. I don't know why he's laughing, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, I'll cut it's, it. Um, it's not good. But there's higher or, higher order and lower order goods, is what I think that they would say. So that us choosing a lower order good of rape for the sake of rape rather than um you know courting dating marriage no, of having it biblical. in that and having having it in that context would be different and that would be the higher order good that you should try to strive for that's the way in which i guess that they're trying to approach the discussion for me i just go back to what is the definition of sin or what is the definition of evil and that's you know some opposition to God's law or who God is and that's enough for me to say it is a thing right and I don't know and, where and I, you want to take it from there but it's up no, to no I, I mean that, that, that's pretty interesting
2: I, I want to I wanna say you know with truth I have never read with the exception of uh, one book connected to a Gordon Clark book I've never read any primary sources by Augustine so he may have some uh, some justification for his you know his ideas and his works that I have not read yet
1: um, who? so Augustine, Augustine. you're talking
2: about? Not Clark, okay. No, you know, they they had that one book where— I
1: don't like Clark's answer to the problem.
2: No, but I mean, you know, the only thing I read was uh, The Lord God of Truth by Clark, and there was that thing by Augustine.
1: Oh, uh, yes. The Little Blue Book? Yes. I forgot the name of it. Um, Concerning the Teacher? You're talking about—yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So that's the only thing I've read by Augustine. That's a good book. Primary Sources. Um, So he he may articulate this in a way that I might agree with it, but as it as the author in this book that we're covering represented it I you know, I can't really hold to it. I just thought it was an interesting topic of discussion.
0: Right, Daniel? That's it for <laughs> thanks for having mine after dark.